thank you, Carol. What a great picture of what today is all about for us. You know, as we sing, we sang the song, Oh Happy Day, and uh, I, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or not, but I've, I felt like I should just walk around the entire room and ask each person individually, is it? Is it a happy day for you? I mean, I know that we go through difficulties and, and difficult seasons of life, but when we know the outcome, it's a happy day. All right, good. Um, <laughs> you, you're gonna believe it. Um, if you've got your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're gonna continue in a series that we've been studying together through the book of Hebrews. And it's interesting with all of the things that have happened and transpired over uh, the last several weeks with uh, missionaries and an extra missionary maybe that wasn't on the schedule. And uh, this wasn't the sermon that I anticipated being the Easter sermon. And in fact, uh, when I said yes to the missionary after we had canceled the service because of the weather, I just thought, God, that's just gonna mess up Easter because I wanted to preach a different passage out of Hebrews, and so it's just gonna throw everything off. And as I began to study the first half of Hebrews chapter 10, I realized uh, Easter is not ruined, and uh, this fits very well with Easter. And so God, in his great wisdom, has kind of taken us through it. And so um, the message today I've entitled, Come In Out of the Rain. Come in out of the rain, and uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And uh, before we do, let me just refresh your memory, because we haven't been in Hebrews since February because of Missions Month, but this letter uh, is written by an unknown author. We don't know exactly who wrote it, but they wrote it to Jewish Christians, and these Jewish Christians had given up what they always believed. I mean, they, they had the Old Covenant, they had the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, the sacrifices, all of the animal sacrifices, and the, the things that they were required to do to be right with God, or at least to appease God, and to, to keep his judgment away from them for at least one more year. And so they had turned away from that and turned to Jesus. They had put faith in what Jesus did on the cross, and because of that, uh, they had started to be persecuted. They were being beaten. They were being stolen from, not just by the Romans, but also by the, the Jewish leaders. In the same way that the Jewish leaders crucified Jesus, they were persecuting those who had turned their back on Judaism to follow Christ. And so some of these Jewish believers are thinking, you know, just like many of us, because some of us, when we come to faith in Christ, we think that we're not gonna have any more problems, that life's just always gonna go the way we expect it to go or want it to go, because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and so everything's gonna be great. Um, and so they begin to, to question whether or not they've missed it. Maybe they should go back to the old way because it won't be as hard. They won't be as persecuted. You know, they were, they were fine before they put faith in Christ. And so this writer is writing to them to try to show them the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant in Jesus and how superior the new covenant is to the old covenant to say, hey, I know it's hard and I know it's difficult, but this is the way. You can't 
turn back from this way because this is what God has intended from the beginning. So don't let your difficult circumstances cause you to begin to doubt and turn away from what is right. Cling to Jesus, cling to this life. And so we've come to chapter 10. And really, chapter 10 is kind of the, where everything is gonna begin to, to change a little bit. He's not gonna talk a lot about the sacrifices like he did before, um, because if, especially chapter seven, eight, nine, and 10, it's all been about the law and the sacrifices. And, um, and for people like me, for teachers, we, we love that stuff. We love to dig into it. And you know, I, I literally could have taken months years to go through this because we've already taken months. I mean, this is part 16 and we're only in chapter 10. But um, there's so much that, that kind of culminates right here in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you've missed everything before that, it's gonna kind of catch you up real quick. Look what it says in verse one. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. Okay, when you see a shadow, sometimes you can't make out what it is, sometimes you can if it's a familiar thing. What he's saying is it's a shadow. It's a reflection of something else that's coming that's far better. I mean, if you're in a relationship that's long distance and you have a, a picture of your significant other and you like talk to that picture, maybe you kiss that picture and you can't wait to be reunited, when you come face to face with that person again, you don't wanna go back to the picture. You want to be with them face to face. And that's exactly what, what the writer here is saying. The, the old covenant was a shadow. It was a picture. It was dim. But now you get to see what's coming. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. 
Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. That's a great Easter passage, would you say? I mean, that just says it all right there. I mean, I could just read and then we could go home, but I wanna elaborate just a little bit to help us maybe understand what this guy is saying a little bit better. You have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis to begin to understand what, what is being talked about. Because in the book of Genesis, God created man and he created woman in the garden. And he said to them in the garden, here is the garden. I want you to take care of it and I want you to eat from anything, anything in the garden. I mean, I have supplied you with, with so much, but there's one tree, one tree in the garden that you cannot eat from it. Because in the day you eat from it, you will die. And so what God is saying to them is, I am your creator, and I love you, and I have given you everything to make your life good here. And there's one thing that I'm asking that you don't do. And we know the story, we know that the serpent came and he deceived Eve, he got her to believe that God was indeed not a good God, that he was withholding something from them that was gonna make their lives better. And so she looked at the fruit and she saw the fruit was good in her eyes. And so she ate it. And in Genesis chapter three, the woman saw it, she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. So what happens here is Adam says, God, I know that you said this tree is something that is not good, that this tree is something that I should not do, but I have reasoned in my mind that it's okay. And so I'm gonna do it. And we know the rest of the story. From that moment on, sin entered the picture and death through sin. And Adam and Eve began to experience pain and heartache that they had never experienced before. God was not indeed withholding something good from them. He was indeed telling the truth. The enemy had deceived Eve and Adam willfully chose to go against what God had said and do what was right in his own eyes. And he now has a sinful nature that he passes on to each and every one of us. But God did not stand up in heaven and wring his hands because he knew that Adam was going to choose that. And in that moment, when he declares the punishment that Adam and Eve are gonna receive, he also promises hope in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, where he says to the serpent, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head head and you will strike his heel. 
In other words, what he says is here, you're going to strike him a blow, your offspring. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is going to come, the son of God, born of a woman, and you are going to strike his heel. You are going to kill him. You are going to crucify him. It's a hidden story. We're told in the New Testament that God hid this from the powers, the principalities. He hid it from Satan himself. If Satan had understood what was happening when Jesus was crucified, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory but God hides it in here you're going to strike his heel but in that moment that you strike his heel he will crush your head once and for all he will deal you a blow that once and for all deals with this issue and so God begins to enter into relationship with men He enters into a relationship with Enoch, who we know very little about. But what we know is Enoch walked so closely with God that he didn't even die. God took him. He just was gone. Then he began to walk with people like Noah. And God destroyed the earth because of the wickedness that was on the earth. And because of Noah and his righteousness and his desire to please God and honor God, God spared his family. And through Noah comes Abraham. And through Abraham comes Jacob. And through Jacob comes all of the tribes of Israel. And through that becomes the nation of Israel. And in Moses, God sends the Ten Commandments and he establishes sacrifices. Why does he establish sacrifices? To hold off his judgment. See, the, the judgment of God had become so stored up against sin that he had to wipe out sin but he spared Noah and his family. And in order to keep that from happening again, because God promised, I'll never do it again. I won't destroy the earth with a flood again. He instituted sacrifices so that blood sacrifices could continuously be made for the people because of their sin. Every day that you sinned, you brought a sacrifice. And then every year, a sacrifice was made for you for the ones you didn't even know about. How many of you know we sin and we don't even recognize we've sinned? And so those sacrifices are given for a couple of reasons. One, to hold off God's judgment so that at least it appeases it. It wasn't able to cleanse us from sin. It wasn't able to to take away the guilt feelings that we had, but it can hold off the judgment of God for a season. Aren't you glad for that? But there's more to it than that. The reason these sacrifices are made over and over and over and over, James tells us in James chapter two, is to show us how impossible it is for you and I to live up to God's standard of right and wrong. You and I have no chance to do what God is pleased with. None whatsoever. Because if we break one law of God, we're guilty of all of it. And the reason that he he institutes the law and shows us all this law is to show us you don't have a chance. And the reason that he has blood sacrifices and the reason that Christ died such a horrific death, why did he have to be so bloody? Why did he have to be so beaten? Why did he have to be crushed the way that he was for us so that you and I would understand the wrath of God against sin? Because the enemy would have come and said, hey, look, you were lenient. You didn't pour out all of your wrath on Jesus. He poured out all of his wrath on sin against him. It was the Lord's good plan to crush Jesus. 
everything, all of God's wrath in that moment came upon him so that you and I would understand not only can we never live up to that standard, but sin is so egregious to God. Sin stores up God's wrath because if we don't understand these things, if we don't understand the wrath of God against sin, we won't turn away from it. We'll stay, we'll, we'll be like, well, it's not so bad. We have to understand God's wrath towards sin so that you and I will want to turn away from it. We have to understand that we cannot be made right with God by our church attendance, by our Bible reading, by our prayer, by our good deeds, because there's no way you and I by ourselves can be made right with God. Because if we just break one law, we're guilty of all of it. It's hopeless. And that's the whole point of the old covenant, is to show us how hopeless it is, and to show us how much wrath God has against sin. Enter a man named King David in the Old Testament. King David understood stuff in the New Old Testament that some New Testament believers don't even understand. In fact, the New Testament calls him a man after God's own heart because David somehow had a picture of stuff that way before his time. And God saw that, God chose him to be king because he knew the kind of heart that was in this, this king. But David had his mistakes. Even David broke God's law, all right? Adultery, murder, in the line of David. The census that he shouldn't have taken, he displeased God. So even though he was a man after God's own heart, he still needed Jesus to die for him. But in the Psalms of David, in Psalm 51, David writes these words. The sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart. See, David understood because in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when Saul was told what to do by the Lord, Saul reasoned in his mind that even though God said destroy everything, we're gonna save some things. We're gonna save the king, even though God said kill him, we're gonna save some of the best animals to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And the prophet said to him, Saul, God much would rather have your obedience and your submission than your sacrifices. See, don't get into the idea that, you know, that we can somehow just uh, appease God. I can live in rebellion against God as long as I tithe. I can live in rebellion against God as long as I go to church. I can live in rebellion against God as long as I somehow balance the scale with something else. No, it's impossible. It's impossible to balance the scale because none of us is righteous. David understood that. And in Psalm chapter 40, David writes these words, and it's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses five through nine, quotes Psalm chapter 40, verses six through eight. David is talking about how God has delivered him. He's delivered me out of the pit of despair. He set my feet on a firm rock. I mean, if you read the story of David, God delivered David so many different times. He set him free. And David says, how can I repay you? How can I honor you? Because sacrifice and offering you do not desire. But David says this, literally what he's saying when you you have opened up my ears. He says, you have dug out ears for me. Now, I don't know if that means you've cleaned them out, like with a Q-tip, or if you've, like, fashioned them from the mud, 
Like that's the picture is that you've actually formed an ear for me to hear. And David says, because you've given me this ear, I understand you don't want sacrifices. You don't want burnt offerings. What you want is for me to do your will because you've written your laws in my heart. That's a picture of the New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews recognizes it in Psalm 40. The, dip, the problem is, he, he, he says it's Christ, not David. And he, instead of saying, you've given me ears, he says, a body you have prepared for me. Now, some scholars don't understand why he's written this. Why does he refer to it as Christ? Why does he refer to it as a, a body you've given to me instead of ears you've opened up to me? In the, in the time that Jesus lived, there is something called the Septuagint, just a big word, and it, all it is is it's a Greek Bible. The Old Testament was written down in Hebrew because people spoke Hebrew. In the time of Jesus, people no longer spoke Hebrew, they spoke Greek. They spoke Aramaic, they spoke some other languages, but not Hebrew. And so Jesus, the Bible that Jesus reads or quotes is called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And in that translation, Psalm chapter 40 does not say you fashioned an ear for me. It says a body you have prepared for me. Because the writers in Hebrew understood David wasn't just talking about himself, he was pointing to the Messiah. So to help the people understand that, they apply that phraseology to this. That's what we believe, that's what we understand. It could have been an, an, an idiom in Hebrew. You know, like we say it's raining cats and dogs, and if, you don't, if English isn't your first language and you read it's raining cats and dogs, maybe you run out with a net trying to save some as they fall to the ground, but you know it's just raining really hard. So we don't know exactly why it's there, but we know it's there and we know that's what he's quoting. And we know that what David is saying in Psalm chapter 40 is, God, I've understood. You've helped me to understand what you want because God will always help us understand what he wants. Some of us get so concerned, you know, what does God want me to do? He'll, if you seek him, he'll show you what he wants you to do. Now, you may have to wrestle with your, whether you're going to lay down your life and do what he asks or not, but it will always be clear what he wants you to do if you set your heart to seek him. Because God's not hiding from us. He's calling us to himself. And so what the writer is saying is when Jesus came to the earth, he understood fully what God wanted from him. And he is saying, you have given me this physical body. He says it in Philippians chapter two. You, you've given me this physical body. And so Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the Father's will to die a death on a cross. And that's what the writer's trying to help them understand. The Old Testament was just a shadow. David understood it. He saw a time that was coming, a better thing that was coming. Jesus was that better thing. Jesus came. God gave him a body. He provided what was needed for Jesus to come perfectly and be a sacrifice in our place. So all of the wrath of God against sin had to be poured out on a human. Jesus voluntarily became that human and submitted himself to that wrath. It was the wrath of God poured out for you and I. And so when he comes to verse 10, in Hebrews chapter 10, 
He said it was God's will for us. Now, that means the people he's writing to, and that means every person that ever calls on the name of the Lord. He was for us to be made holy, to be made just like God by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And then in verses 14 through 18, he one more time, or excuse me, between 11 and 14, he one more time talks about the difference between the old new covenant. We're gonna skip over that because I wanna go to the climax. The climax is verse 14. This is what it's all about right here. He says, for by that one offering, the one offering that Jesus made his body, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ makes you and I perfect before God. That was way better news than that. There's a verb in Greek that is called perfect tense. And what perfect tense means is that something happened in the past, but it carries on just like it's happening right now in the future. We don't have perfect tense like that in English, but they do. And so when it says that we have been made perfect by the sacrifice of Christ, that's perfect tense. Meaning, Jesus, when he died on the cross and said it is finished, the picture we got, it is accomplished. It's as if right now he is still saying it is accomplished. When we sing the song, the blood never loses its power, that's why we sing it. Because it's as if Jesus is dying again today, even though he doesn't. He did it once for all, but it carries all the way through to now, and it hasn't lost one iota of power. You and I are made perfect because of Christ. Paul says it in Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the, another translation it says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done with us. Now, when we put faith in Christ, when, in other words, when I say, I need someone to take my penalty, and I believe Jesus took my penalty at the cross and so I am accepting that penalty on my behalf and I am putting him in charge of my life. When I make that statement, instantly, instantly, I am at peace with God. I am at peace with God and I will never, ever, ever be more at peace with God. Now, I might feel more at peace with God but in reality, I am at m the most peace with God that I will ever be because my peace is dependent on Jesus, not on me. It's my faith in Christ that justifies me. Have you ever heard the phrase, just as if I'd never sinned? That's what it is. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And, and in 2 Corinthians chapter five, Paul says that when that happens, I am made a brand new person. My spirit on the inside of me is born again. It's brand new. It's alive. It was dead before. It's alive. 
And some of you are like, okay, so why don't we live like it? Right? Why don't we live like it? Because I'm made right with God, why do I still sin? Why do I still fail? Why do I still fall short? Why is all of this happening? The second half of Hebrews chapter 10, we are made perfect while being made holy. But here's the thing, you and I don't make ourselves holy. It's still the sacrifice of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit who has been sent to live inside of us who makes us holy. Paul says it in Romans chapter eight. His spirit, God's spirit, comes and joins with our spirit at salvation. We're alive, his spirit lives in us and it affirms we are his children. In the book of 1 John, John says, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Meaning, there will be times where you feel guilty, but if the truth is you're not guilty because of the sacrifice of Christ and because you are following him, then you are not guilty no matter how you feel. And the Spirit is sent to you to help affirm that in your life. But that's not all the Spirit does. Before that verse in Romans chapter 8, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he gives life to your mortal body. The Spirit gives life to our physical bodies by that same Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we have no obligation to do what our flesh urges us to do, meaning we don't have to. So, The power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the indwelling spirit takes away our excuse. When we say, well, I just couldn't help it, that's a lie. That's the enemy. Don't get too far ahead of me because don't be all guilty now. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. But here's what we've got to understand. I am no longer obligated to do what my sinful nature wants me to do. So whatever my nationality, void. If my nationality flies off the handle and tempers are just a part of my nationality, void. Because I am a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And I no longer have to do what my sinful nature urges me to do. If my nationality is shy, void. I have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Christ. My job as a believer is now to tell others about this great news of Jesus Christ. And my nationality or my shyness or whatever I've been created with or whatever was a part of my sinful nature is now void. It's no longer an excuse because I have been given the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So if we live according to our sinful nature, we will die. But through the power of the Spirit, if we put to death the deeds of our sinful nature, we will live. Even though what Christ has done for us, if we choose not to take the power of the Holy Spirit that is living in us, and we don't choose to put to death by the Spirit's power those things of the flesh, they will kill us. No matter how powerful that blood, you and I have to to receive it and we have to live under it all the days of our lives. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, he tells us God writes his laws in our hearts. He writes them on our minds because he doesn't want us to have to have a list in front of us every day of our lives what I'm supposed to do. 
Now, we have to read the word. We have to get in the book. We have to spend time with the Lord so he can write those laws on our hearts. The, the quiet time that Christy was talking about, being still before the Lord, that's where the Holy Spirit writes these things in our hearts so that you and I can now, when we go out there, we can draw from what's been written on our hearts and say, no, that's not true. I'll tell you what's true. It's been written on my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can live these new lives. Then God says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. When sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. Now, God is God and he cannot forget. But he can choose not to remember. Does that make sense? I heard a story about a priest who was meeting with this lady and she was trying to convince him that the Lord was speaking to her in her quiet time. And of course, the priest did not believe that, that the Lord would speak to her because God only speaks through him to them. And so he, he just kept saying, that is not the Lord. You're not hearing from him. You're not hearing from him. And so time and time again, she kept coming. And finally, he said, okay, if you're hearing from the Lord, ask him, what sin your priest committed while in seminary and come back and report it to me and then I'll believe it's the Lord. So, of course, the next day the lady came back and the priest says, well, did you ask him? She said, yes. He said, I don't remember. Some of you will get that later. God chooses not to remember our sin. Here, get this. Not just our past sin. Because of Christ, he chooses not to remember our present sin and our future sin before it even happens. He is no longer counting our sins against us. Now, I know that some of us are like, oh, good, then I can just live however I want to live and it doesn't matter, except it also says, can we keep on sinning so that God can show us more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. If we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? I want to try to illustrate this to you as best I can. And so I want you to imagine with me that it's raining in this room. And that rain that is coming down on our heads is the judgment of God. Now I know in the scripture... Rain is a refreshing thing, and rain is a sign of the blessing of God, but for this illustration, rain is bad. You and I are in the rain, and we are getting God's wrath, his judgment poured down on us. Christ's death has become for us a large umbrella to shield us from the rain. Now, when I put faith in Christ, like we've talked about, I get an umbrella like this. And so, because of what Christ has done for me, the wrath of God against me is stopped. It's stopped. Because I've chose to put my faith in him. So my daily life is now lived under this umbrella. This is where I am. Now, my behavior, while under this umbrella, is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ as long as I choose to stay under the umbrella, okay? I've got to choose to stay under the umbrella because when God looks down, what he sees is the umbrella. 
He doesn't see me, he sees Christ in me. This is why I am at peace with God, because he sees the umbrella. He doesn't see how I'm acting right now. What he sees is the umbrella. So when we act like we shouldn't act, we, our emotions get all worked up, and we don't feel at peace with God. But we are at peace with God, as long as we choose to stay under the umbrella. Now, I'm going to tell you how to get out of the umbrella, but for now, we're staying here. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing. You and I don't see each other through the umbrella. We see each other under the umbrella. And this is why you and I need to get God's perspective and heart as we look at each other. Because we have a tendency to judge people based on what we see under the umbrella and not what we see through the umbrella. Does that make sense? Remember in the New Testament when Jesus said, I desire that you show mercy more than sacrifice. See, some of us, we tithe, we attend church, we read our Bible, we do all these sacrifices, but we don't show mercy to people. We hold on to offenses and unforgiveness, and we, won't, we refuse to see people through the umbrella of, of Christ, and we see them this way. Well, let me just tell you, that's one way to get out from under the umbrella. When we choose to, to not forgive, when we say, God, I know that you've told me to forgive as Christ forgave me, but I know better than you, and I'm not forgiving them because they're not really sorry. You've just stepped outside of the umbrella. Here's what I know. God will not push us out of the umbrella. Some people see God as just waiting for you and I to make mistakes. You cannot serve God if you are constantly afraid of being shoved outside of the umbrella. The reason that Christ dealt with our past, present, and future sin is to free us to serve God. To serve him not out of fear that he's gonna smite us, not out of fear that his judgment is gonna get underneath the umbrella at me, but that we can serve him out of love. Now here's the thing. You and I will fall down under the umbrella. When we live out our daily lives, we're gonna sin. We're gonna treat people like we shouldn't treat them. We're gonna say things we shouldn't say. We're gonna do things we shouldn't do. And here's the thing. It's not whether or not I fall down under the umbrella. It's what I do once I fall down. The Bible says, if you sin, confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if you fall down and you stand up and you say, Lord, I have broken your law. I've sinned against you. Holy Spirit, give me grace today, not just to not, to forgive me of that, but to not do that again. I gotta get out of that because if I continue to do that, I'm gonna die because sin is deceptive and it's gonna deceive me into stepping outside of the umbrella. If we fall down and we blame so-and-so, well, the only reason I fell down was because of them. You've just stepped outside of the umbrella. If we fall down and say, well, you know, God's not, 
it's okay, there's grace, and uh, you know, I know God says that's wrong, but you know, that was back in the day. I mean, God today doesn't, I mean, he doesn't mind if we live this way today, and so he understands outside of the umbrella. The Bible says, woe to him who calls evil good and good evil. And so if this book teaches us that this is, has no place in the character or nature of God, it has no place under the umbrella with us. And so you can fall down all you need to fall down as long as you get up and you go back to him and you confess that sin. But the moment you begin to rationalize, the moment you begin to say, well, no, I don't know that God really, really understands or I just disagree with God on this one. You're outside the umbrella. You've chosen to step outside of the umbrella. God didn't push you there. You chose it. Now, some people want to know, well, you know, how, how long does it take to get outside the umbrella? I don't know because I'm not God. But here's what I tell you, don't even start down that pathway. When the Bible says, flee from anything that stirs up lust in you in any way. Flee from anything that causes you to sin. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. But see, we get deceived into thinking that I can sin because I'm under the umbrella. We forget the wrath of God that was poured out against sin. We forget that sin is deceptive in its nature and if we allow it to stay under the umbrella long enough, it will deceive us just like it did Eve. And some of us feel like we're under the umbrella, but we're not. Because our lives completely contradict what the scripture teaches. We continue to deliberately sin against God. And Hebrews chapter 10 says, if you continue to deliberately sin against God, there is no sacrifice for sins that remains. Some of you are so afraid that every time you fall down, you're outside the umbrella. That's not salvation at all. Salvation allows you to fall down under the umbrella. It's just what you do once you're down there. The question is, will I stay submitted to God? Will I stay submitted to the Holy Spirit? Will I continue to follow him? Isaiah chapter 30 says this, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Here's what I know. God will allow you to stay under the umbrella as long as possible. He will do everything in his power to keep you under the umbrella. And sometimes that means allowing difficult moments into our lives to get us to stay under the umbrella. But at some point, he'll allow us to step outside of that umbrella if that's the, the path we want to choose. I know he's not looking to push you there, but he'll allow us to go there. One last verse I want to give you today before we close. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says all of this that we've talked about is a gift from God. He brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us, those under the umbrella, the task of reconciling people to him. What's God's will for my life? To get more people under the umbrella. It's not to have a nice house. 
It's not to have a nice car. It's not to arrive safely at death. It's not to get your healing. Your purpose is to get people under the umbrella. I mean, if you were in the pouring rain and you had an umbrella this large and someone else was standing there getting soaked, who among us would not walk over and say, hey, stand under here with me? And yet you and I live under this umbrella and all around us people are are in danger of the wrath of God and we act like it's not our job. I hope that this image gets burned in our minds for the rest of our lives. That everywhere we go, our task is to reconcile people to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. You know why the Bible is good news? God is no longer counting people's sins against them. And yet, a lot of the time, the church keeps reminding people that God is counting their sins against them. No, yes, sin is out there. Sin is in your life, but hey, the good news is Jesus died for you. That's the good news. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. Sin has separated you from God. Come back to him. Get under the umbrella. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Be reconciled to God. It's as simple, and we've been saying this for years, but I feel like the letters change a lot. It's as simple as ABC. It's as simple as saying, I admit that I have broken God's law. I am not in right relationship with God. And all you have to do is break one. (laughs) So it's easy. All of us have sinned because we've broken God's standard of rightness. And the only hope that we have is to believe that he died in our place. And that puts an umbrella over our lives. But the C is the big part. The the scripture says that we have to confess with our mouth. Literally, what we're doing is putting him in charge of our life. Lord, you get to start calling the shots in my life. I'm now under the umbrella, and your ways are going to be my ways. I'm not going back to the garden where you said that tree is not good, and I'm not going to rationalize that that tree is good. It looks good, but that's just me. You said it's not good. I'm not touching it. And if I do touch it, I'm going to repent. I'm going to say, God, I touched that tree, and I shouldn't have touched that tree, and you need to help me to not touch that tree again. And if you need to tell someone else and say, hey, come here and stand under my umbrella for a minute. Uh, you need to help me. If I, if I go near that tree, I want you to slap my hand. I want you to yell at me. I don't care. I don't know what you got to do, but you got to do something. Wouldn't that be great to have that kind of accountability in our lives? You see me going near that tree, you tell me. One of the, the things that we have to do is settle our identity, our position in Christ. You and I are safe under the umbrella as long as we're letting him call the shots. You cannot live in fear that God is out to get you. 
that God is looking in some way to try to poke holes in your umbrella. After all that he has done for us, it it should be a no-brainer what he wants to do for us. But some of us go to church week after week and we sit in a pew and God doesn't call the shots of our lives. Just like Adam, you and I reason that this sin that's in my life, that I'm allowing in my life, is okay to be there. I'll tell you, sin is deceptive, and if it stays in your life, it'll get you to step outside of the umbrella. You need to cut it off. Okay, if the scripture says that gossip and slander are sins, please do not call them weaknesses in your life. They are sins provided for you by the enemy on a tree, and if you eat of them, the scripture says if we eat of those morsels, they will become a poison in us. They're not weaknesses. The the way you treat your spouse, men, if you yell at your wife, if if you hurt your wife in some way, the scripture says God doesn't even hear your prayer if you're not treating your wife as you should. That's not a weakness. That's something you need to say to someone, hey, I need to let you into my umbrella here for a minute. Because what you bring into the light is broken. But what we try to hide will destroy us. I want to invite you to stand with me as we get ready to close today. And I want to ask just three questions for you. I'd like you to to close your eyes. I'd like you to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart right now. Some of you might be in this room today and you have never, you've never, been reconciled to God. You have never put faith in Christ the way I've described today. Maybe you've attended church all your life. Maybe you were baptized into the church and you were confirmed into the church. But the way that the scripture today has shown us, you need to put faith in Christ. You've never done that before. And if you're here today and you say, I've never done that and I want to do it today. I want to be reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ. Would you slip up your hand and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? Would you help me today to be reconciled to God? Today I want to be reconciled. If it's you, slip up your hand, put it right back down just to say, hey, that's me today. I will assume that the rest of us are either right now living under the umbrella or we've recognized today through the work of the Holy Spirit, we've stepped outside of that umbrella. Some of you might sit in a church pew week after week after week but live outside of the umbrella because you're trusting in your sacrifices to make you right with God and not your position in Christ. You're excusing some type of behavior because you feel like you've balanced it with good behavior and you're outside of that umbrella. Some of you are here and you're outside of the umbrella because you knowingly and willfully have walked outside the umbrella. Like many of these first century Jews, you've kind of become upset with God and you've chosen to do it your way, and you're now living outside the umbrella. 
And if you're here today and you at one point in your life were reconciled, but you know now you're outside that umbrella and today you're coming back to God. You're gonna put your faith in Christ again the way that I've described to you. Would you slip up your hand and say, I'm making that decision today. Anyone else? Anyone else? plead with you today if you know you're not underneath that umbrella of Christ's death and resurrection you need to take care of that before you leave this room for those of you that lifted a hand I'd encourage you to share with someone today the decision that you've just made in a moment I'm going to pray a prayer for you but you need to pray that prayer. The words you choose aren't as important as the decision you just made. You need to vocalize that you need Christ's sacrifice. You need to vocalize that you're accepting his sacrifice and you need to commit yourself to put him in charge of every decision from here on out. And I promise you there will be days you will fall down underneath that umbrella. Confess those sins and allow his justification to continue to cover your life. If you need accountability and you can't find it, come and see me and we'll help find someone to walk that journey with you. So Father, I thank you today for Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. I thank you for the plan of salvation that you have unfolded throughout the ages. God, we join the angels today and stand amazed at what you have done. How you have so masterly and cleverly shown us our need of salvation. Showed us how hopeless it is to try to be in right relationship with you by our own strength. You've shown us the wrath that sin has incurred. Jesus, thank you for willingly taking that wrath on our behalf. Father, for those today that have recommitted themselves to walk underneath the umbrella of that salvation that you've provided, Holy Spirit, I ask that today as you make them new again, that you would give them strength and grace to walk with you underneath that umbrella. That you would give them power to overcome the weaknesses, the sins that so easily beset us. Give them the grace to cut off the things that continue to separate them from you. So Father, thank you for the work that you've done in our lives. I pray for each of us today that are under that umbrella, God, to understand more and more the task that you have given us of reconciling people with you. Holy Spirit, we need you. 
we need you to cause us to literally be more and more uncomfortable in our daily lives if we're not telling people about the reconciliation that comes through Jesus Christ. We need you and your boldness to step outside of where we're comfortable and to take up the task of reconciling people to you. We are your ambassadors. Help us to make that appeal. And so Father, I pray today for those that are here that you would bless them. God, I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would lift up your countenance to them and be gracious to them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you for being here today. God bless you as you go.